0: I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest superpowers. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 35 of ADHD for Smartass Women. And this week, we are going to talk about how to respond when someone tells you that they don't believe in ADHD. But before I get started, I want to warn you. I live in the country, and I have a nine-month-old Shisu named Mochi who's sitting here by my side. And she's still not fully potty trained. So I left the door open. And this giant, I am not lying to you, it is six inches long. It's a giant dragonfly, the biggest dragonfly I have ever seen. And we have these 16-foot ceilings. And the dragonfly got caught in one of, there's three skylights in this room that I am um, recording in. And he's stuck up there and he's making a huge amount of noise. And I'm just terrified he's going to come flying out. So if he does and heads my way. You'll find out. Okay, so anyway, it has taken me a while to record this episode because honestly, it just kind of made me so damn angry that it was almost like I couldn't even go there. And the question that kept coming up for me, which is why I wanted to record this, is what do you do if you have a friend, a family member, a teacher, a coworker, or a boss that tells you that there's no such thing as ADHD? Because you've probably figured out by now that speaking about ADHD, it can literally be as sticky as talking about politics or religion. People have their definite ideas. So this is what I want to start out with. The first thing I want to say is that if you're sitting here and you're listening to this podcast and you don't believe in ADHD and you don't believe, because I don't know, maybe a family member has forced you to listen to it, right? And you don't believe in it based on zero extensive research. And you have a good friend or a family member who has ADHD, flat out, I'm going to tell you right now, it is hurting your relationship with that person. And you need to educate yourself about ADHD before one more falsehood comes flying out of your mouth. Relationships, they're about one of two things. They're either about connection or they're about power. Connection would sound like, you know what, I want to understand how you feel. I want to understand what ADHD is. I want to know what ADHD looks like, and I'm willing to learn. Connection also looks like, you know, I'm going to grant you that you know more than I do because you've actually done the research. Power, on the other hand, looks like uh, I'm right and you're wrong. And I have to tell you that I have some friends who fall into this, you know, I, I don't believe in ADHD category. Which is honestly why I didn't even want to go here because just even thinking about it irritates me. I have a son who's diagnosed with ADHD. I've been diagnosed with ADHD. I am not a stupid woman. I have been researching ADHD ad nauseum, not only for my son, but also for myself. I have a podcast, a Facebook group, my cartography system, which we're gearing to the ADHD brain. And you think I'm wrong and you're right based on one article rife with misinformation that you read in the New York Times or on that, uh, anyone can post here, psychologytoday.com. So what I want to tell you is that if you really care about this person who tells you they have ADHD, the best thing that you can do is to educate yourself using reputable sources, meaning using ADHD experts. And if you're brand new to this, I promise you, That you know absolutely nothing about how the brain works, let alone how the ADHD brain works. Now, one of our members in our Facebook group, ADHD for smart ass women, she mentioned that the most frustrating thing for her is that oftentimes, you know, her friends don't say anything. And it's this very fact that confirms for her that she's not being supported. You know, it's pretty easy to know when people support you and when they don't. And when you have a friend or a family member who's sidestepping a subject Altogether, let alone a subject that I'm going to use myself as an example that I am now spending my life immersed in. Guess what? That is not support. And to me, that is also not a relationship worth having. If I can't even have a conversation about it because you won't go there, because you're so set in your ways and so set on being right that you refuse to learn what you are in essence telling me is that I'm an idiot and that everything I've done over the past five years is not legitimate or of any value. And I feel like it's bad enough that we're talking about me here, right? But I also have the son who has ADHD. So not only are you discounting me and how I feel and what I know, you're discounting him as well, which what am I supposed to take that to mean, right? That you don't care about him either because, again, it's more important that you're right. And what you need to know is that I have ADHD. And for those of you that are listening who also have ADHD, you know what that means, right? We are intense. We don't just dabble in a little research. No, we go down the whole damn rabbit hole. We don't do things we're interested in halfway. So don't mess with my kids and expect that it won't seriously affect our relationship. Another thing I've noticed that these people who seem to not believe in ADHD, They also believe that ADHD is a character flaw. Well, wait a minute. They don't believe in ADHD. So they see the symptoms or traits of ADHD, right? As a character flaw, a moral failing, people not taking responsibility for their own actions, bad parenting, and what is lacking is discipline. And you probably heard or seen that disgraceful meme that says, I had ADHD too, but was suddenly healed when my dad's belt came off. So- what I've noticed is these people who don't believe in ADHD, they often believe it's okay to hit kids because they think it's all about discipline and bad parenting, right? They subscribe to the authoritarian model. I'm the parent and what I say goes. And since I'm bigger than you, I can force you to do what I want you to do. And just as an aside, I have never seen parents who subscribe to the authoritarian model of parenting actually have really good relationships with their kids, especially not their adult kids. Once the kids grow up, they're resentful, they're angry, and they think their parents are know-it-alls who really know nothing. Now, Don't get me wrong. I believe that kids with ADHD, they need more structure. They need more discipline than your neurotypical kids. But discipline to me is not about hitting. It's not about yelling. It's not about demoralizing a child. It's about teaching a child how their brain works. And it's about immediate consequences to their actions. So they know why they do what they do. And they know when they do things that are not things that support their well-being, that there will be immediate consequences to those actions. So the final thing is, if you think it's okay to hit kids, you need parenting classes because you're out of control and you are causing trauma to your kids, which will just make the ADHD symptoms worse. On the flip side to that, what I want to tell those of you who do have ADHD who are listening to this podcast, have a little grace. If I'm really honest with myself and you, before my son was diagnosed with ADHD, I didn't know what it was either. And I'm not sure what I, you know, that I even believed in it because I probably read the stupid French study or the New York Times one that was, you know. Both of them rife full of misinformation. And I had this ridiculously easy daughter, my first child who did whatever she was asked. She could sit for hours. And of course, I thought it that it had all to do with my fabulous parenting. She could sit and do five hours of homework. Oh, it was because we were such a, you know, a strong family and we were so good at parenting. And because of that, I was willing to share my advice with anyone who would ask. And probably sometimes I shared my advice with people who didn't ask. I just really believed that um, it was my great parenting. And the reality of it was, maybe it's a little bit my parenting, but it was mostly because she was born that way, right? I didn't know about the genetic research. I didn't know that ADHD is as heritable as height. I didn't know about the brain image scans that actually show that the ADHD brain is different. I didn't know about twin studies. I didn't know about neurotransmitters. I'm not even sure that I knew what dopamine was. So the reality of it is, if you are talking to a friend and they only have one kind of kid, if they have a child like my daughter, they have no reason to learn about what a child with a different kind of brain would look like, you know, a child that doesn't have a linear brain, but maybe has a nonlinear brain. So a little bit of grace is probably a good thing. Okay. So what is the first thing that you might hear that we probably all heard at some point, right? There's no such thing as ADHD. And we hear this despite the fact that every mainstream medical, psychological, and educational organization has concluded that ADHD is real and that those children, adults who have it benefit from treatment, period. Of course, we know that the National Institute of Health, the American Medical Association, the U.S. Surgeons General the American Association of Psychiatry, the U.S. Department of Education, all state that ADHD is a neurobiological condition that affects anywhere from 5 to 10% of kids and 4% of adults. And the Department of Education is required by law to provide special accommodations to kids with ADHD. The other thing, which is a permutation of, well, there's no such thing as ADHD, is in France, there is no such thing as ADHD. You probably have all heard about Marilyn Wedge and her article, Why French Kids Don't Have ADHD. It was published in 2012. Marilyn Wedge is a brilliant self-promoter of two books, Pills Are Not for Preschoolers, and A Disease Called Childhood. So clearly, she really is not interested in mental health. She published this article in psychologytoday.com, which is the bastion of pop psychology, and my understanding is that psychologytoday.com will publish an article from just about anyone. They're profit-driven, and their business model is that therapists pay to advertise on their website. Sadly, this piece of abject misinformation by Ms. Wedge is among Psychology Today's most shared content. Wedge is an MFT, hardly an expert in ADHD, and I want to read you the first paragraph from the French Kids Post. In the United States, at least 9% of school-aged children have been diagnosed with ADHD and are taking pharmaceutical medications. In France, the percentage of kids diagnosed and medicated for ADHD is less than 0.5%. How has the epidemic of ADHD firmly established in the U.S., almost completely passed over children in France. Wedge goes on to suggest that in the United States, we view ADHD purely as a biological disorder with biological causes. She goes on to state that French doctors prefer to look for the underlying issue that is causing the child distress, not in the child's brain, but in the child's social context. She states that in France, there are stricter family rules and structures so that French children are generally better behaved than their American counterparts. Somehow then, she speculated that this upbringing explains low rates of ADHD among the French. Now, I agree with the structure part. I already said that. All children do better when they know what to expect. And the French probably also have a healthier diet than most Americans. This is all good, but it doesn't explain ADHD. I mean, I can look at my personal situation. I have a Japanese father and a German mother. No one had more structure than my family did. Still, three out of four of us kids have ADHD. And you know what? My youngest brother might have it as well. But he'd probably be in an attentive. The French also have a much stronger safety net with child support for working families, right? That can only help. But let me respond to Ms. Wedge. First off, the fact that fewer kids in France are diagnosed with ADHD does not mean that fewer French kids actually have ADHD. I found an abstract from the World Psychiatry Association published by the National Institute of Health from ADHD expert Ferreone, who has studied ADHD for more than three decades, and I'm going to post all these links in the show notes. He looked at whether or not ADHD could be found around the world, or was it strictly an American condition? He and his researchers concluded that ADHD is not an American phenomenon and found the prevalence of ADHD in many countries to be in the same range as that found in the United States. This is so important because recognition of ADHD worldwide counteracts all the misinformation which prevents kids from receiving assistance which they need to achieve their potential at home, school, and in life. In 2011, Ferréon also looked at ADHD among children in France and said that the prevalence of ADHD in kids had never been examined in France. So, I have no idea where Wedge got her 0.5%. You can't just say there's no ADHD in France when the truth is actually that ADHD has never been studied in France. Ferreone estimated that the prevalence of ADHD in kids in France was somewhere between 3.5% and 5.6%. In France, my understanding is also that most child psychiatrists belong to the psychoanalytic movement. When I did research on mental health in France, the word outdated kept popping up. Because of this, there seems to be a preference for talk therapy and Freud and an aversion to cognitive behavioral therapy, which personally I think is terrible because I think for ADHD, it is among the best things that anyone can do. In France, the prescription of Ritalin, and this is as of 2013, is the only psychostimulant approved in France for ADHD. So this shows how little the French have in their medical arsenal to actually treat ADHD. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, in France, alcohol is the second biggest cause for preventable deaths after tobacco. It kills some 41,000 people each year. In France, they drink 11.0 liters per capita per year. In the United States, we drink 8.7 liters per capita per year. So put another way, in France, it's 39.3 handles of vodka a year per person versus in the United States, 29 handles of vodka per person per year. That's bad enough, isn't it? I found this one excerpt, too, that I just found fascinating. In 1956, France banned the serving of alcohol to children under the age of 14 in the school canteens. Prior to that, school children had the right to drink half a liter of wine, cider, or beer with their meals. It was only in 1981 that France implemented a total alcohol ban in the country's schools. I can't believe that. And it's an aside, but I just had to point it out. Also, almost double the amount of people smoke in France versus the United States, 15.9% to 27%, or I should say 27% to 15.9%. So why is this information about alcohol and tobacco even relevant? Well, we know that untreated ADHD leads to substance abuse. If you don't deal with ADHD, guess what? It shows up in other areas as addiction or should I say self-medication. We have many studies that show that stimulant medication actually reduces the risk of developing an addiction, and I'll talk about that more in a moment. You should read Gina Perez's article. I'm going to post the link in the show notes because I think it's a really interesting response to this idea that there is no ADHD in France. I grew up with this idea that the French eat, drink, and smoke, and they never get fat, and they never get sick, and clearly that's not true. The truth is that In the United States, ADHD experts have all examined parenting skills, social and environmental factors that contribute to ADHD symptoms. Medication is prescribed because it works, but a great ADHD expert also looks at non-pharmacological treatments before medicine, like behavioral modification, like exercise, like nature, like cognitive behavioral therapy, like executive functioning training, and These things work. You've all heard pills don't teach skills. But bottom line, it's ultimately the parent's choice, whether they're going to start with medication or they're going to start with one of these other non-pharmacological treatments. How we choose to treat ADHD It's just different. We're different countries with different values. However, that doesn't mean that French kids don't have ADHD. And the fact that Wedge is perpetuating this misinformation to millions in order to sell her books is terrible for all kids with ADHD. Okay, so what's the next thing that we hear a lot? Well, ADHD is an American invention. It was created by parents who don't want to parent, teachers who don't want to teach, greedy doctors, and big pharma so they could sell more drugs. That is why we've seen more American kids diagnosed with it every year. We have far more ADHD than Europe does or other parts of the world. ADHD is not an American invention. It's not a product of our current society. We see rates of diagnosis anywhere from 5% to as high as 11%. It's my understanding, however, that the 11% wasn't from a clinical study, but it was from a phone survey that the CDC did. More reliable rates fall somewhere between 5 and 9%, depending on the study. And that can be for a number of reasons. First off, it is true that this number has been steadily rising. It jumped from 7.8% in 2003 to 9.5% in 2007. But just because more kids are being diagnosed does not mean that they are being misdiagnosed. In any other condition, it's a good thing when more people are being diagnosed early, right? When you're diagnosed With any other medical condition early, that allows us a better opportunity to intervene before things get worse. The earlier that we know that, hey, this is ADHD, the better we can treat it. And if you think that's not true, come over to my Facebook group to hear the heartbreaking stories from women who for decades thought they were lazy, useless, unmotivated failures just because they didn't understand how their brains worked when they were younger. Our women are constantly sharing just how angry and sad they are that they didn't know sooner. What else can I say about the rates of diagnosis in the United States? Well, we know more about ADHD. Most of the important research in ADHD has been done by Americans in America. We still have a long way to go, but in general, as as a public, we are much more educated on ADHD than most other countries around the world. Think about it. If the prevalence of ADHD in kids had never been examined in France until that 2011 study, wouldn't that actually mean that they know little, if anything, about ADHD? The guidelines used to diagnose ADHD have also changed. For example, they expanded the age for diagnosis. It used to be 6 to 12 years old, and it was changed to 4 to 18 years old. I know that they used to require that girls be diagnosed by 12 And then they discovered that they were missing so many girls because many girls don't start showing symptoms until puberty. I know that I was one of them. I was the lead in most school plays, both in English, the English language and the German school language. I had memorized all kinds of songs. I had a great memory. But then that magic of age of 13 came and suddenly I couldn't memorize a thing. Today, I don't know the words to any song. And I'm talking about even two sentences to a song unless that song was some a song that I learned before I turned 13. And I always wondered, like, why was that? Why did I have such a good memory before the age of 13? And then at the age of 13, I couldn't really remember anything anymore. Well, now I know. I also believe that we have more ADHD in this country because it's in our DNA. Who else but someone who's impulsive and restless and independent and creative, a dreamer, someone who's ADHD, would leave their warm, cozy country and family, get on a rickety boat, and sail over to the dangerous new world. We're also a nation of immigrants with these same wonderful qualities. The qualities associated with ADHD, I believe they're embedded in the American temperament. Experts today state that ADHD is still underdiagnosed, especially among girls and adults. Why? because we think of ADHD as that 11-year-old boy climbing the walls. We don't see the inattentive form of ADHD, and we don't understand that that dreamy quality where girls and adults aren't paying attention, and they seem to be in their their own dream world, that that is a form of ADHD as well, inattentive ADHD. So, what else do we hear? Well... Everyone has ADHD, or everyone has ADHD today. ADHD is the result of smartphones and video games and social media and lifestyle. Now, that's a myth, for the most part, that the public believes because the media has done such a terrible job of researching and telling the truth about ADHD. Instead, what we see, which we talked about, is they opt for the sensational headlines and they spotlight the charlatans who will say anything to sell their latest books. So what is my response to everyone has ADHD or everyone has ADHD today? Again, it's an invention of modern society. My response is no and sort of. So let's start with no. There have always been kids with ADHD. Google 1844 children's stories fidgety phil fidgety phil who couldn't sit still i grew up with trumplepeta no truppelpeta honestly i can't remember i should have i should have googled it before i sat down to record this podcast i think it's stroppelpeta i'm half german stroppelpeta came from the same author who penned Fidgety Phil in 1844. And it was all about this little boy who was a complete disaster. And I still remember as a child, he would put on one sock that was polka dotted and one sock, you know, sock that was striped. And maybe even Pippi stockings came from him. I'm not sure. Think of the sound of music. How do we handle a problem like Maria? Of course, I can't sing. But right. Maria was like, Totally ADHD. And we've got Dennis the Menace, and we've got Tom Sawyer, who couldn't sit still in school or church. Remember Amelia Bedelia? How about Sherlock Holmes? And then there's the White Rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Yeah, totally ADHD. He was always discombobulated, wasn't he? ADHD is definitely not an invention of modern society. It has been around forever. In 1868, it was called the Defect of Moral Control. You were also called lazy, stupid, difficult, and an underachiever, and there were no treatment plans other than try harder. In the early 60s, ADHD was called minimal brain dysfunction, as opposed to the big brain damage found in cerebral palsy or mental retardation, which is now called intellectual disability. Then it was changed to hyperkinetic disorder of childhood in the late 60s, and then it became ADHD. And now some of us are calling it executive function deficits. ADHD is a spectrum condition, meaning that we can all have symptoms of ADHD in varying degrees. We can all relate to it at times being late. We can all relate to it at times forgetting things, acting impulsively, feeling restless or distracted. We can all relate at times to getting overwhelmed and losing things. The key is the severity of those symptoms. Do they happen a couple of times a week? Or is it a daily or hourly phenomenon where it is severely impairing the quality of your life? Only then does it reach the threshold of ADHD. So the next question is, is modern life impacting ADHD? Sort of. I mean, attention spans are becoming shorter, patience is less, and could all this technology be rewiring our brains? Maybe, but we don't know that yet, right? Right. Our kids get less physical activity, not just at home, because you know we're afraid to just let them go and run and roam the neighborhood like we did. But they're getting less physical activity at school too, right? They're cutting recess, they're cutting PE. We're also seeing less structure, which in ADHD kids, you know, they need that more, not less. We're seeing more stuff, more options, more technology. I remember that when I was a kid, there were, I don't know, four or five, maybe six television channels. And I remember my brothers on a Sunday morning sitting in front of the TV with a channel on waiting for the cartoons to start. There were like little black lines, squiggly lines going across the screen until the cartoons started. At night, I remember after the late night talk shows, the screen would just go blank and then you'd get the squiggly lines again. So... We are, as a society, teaching our kids that they don't need to wait. They don't need to sit. They don't need to exhibit patience, right? So if ADHD is a spectrum condition, wouldn't it make sense that kids who otherwise wouldn't have symptoms that would reach the ADHD level of impairment, they might get pushed over to that threshold today, given all the distractions that we have, the new distractions, There is so much more to amuse ourselves with, right? We used to be taught patience and waiting, and we no longer need this as much in daily life. We have become more of a right here, right now society. And exactly because of this, a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy and coaching, it really works for ADHD kids and adults because it teaches these kinds of skills, the power of pausing and thinking before we act learning how to curb our impulsiveness where it doesn't serve us. With an ADHD brain, we need these skills even more today because of all the distractions. So I don't believe that video games, social media, smartphones, that they're necessarily making people more ADHD. I just think they're more attractive to people with ADHD who love novelty and new and to be engaged. As Russell Barkley says, when you do a math problem on a piece of paper, nothing happens. There's no immediate feedback. Of course that's boring to everyone, but especially to those of us with ADHD, which is probably why we like video games so much. Bottom line, though, doctors were seeing ADHD symptoms in kids way before the internet. Okay, what else are we hearing? We're hearing we are medicating our kids and turning them into addicts. I've never met a parent who didn't really struggle with the decision about whether to medicate or not medicate their kid for ADHD. It's interesting to me that we don't question medication for most other conditions. I mean, if your child's diabetic, would you question giving them insulin? But we do this for ADHD. And I have to tell you, no one dislikes big pharma more than I do. But in this instance, facts are facts. There are so many studies that have been done on the safety of Ritalin. It has been used to treat ADHD for over 55 years. Most asthma drugs haven't been studied as much as Ritalin. And if we're talking about addiction. Many studies have been done that show an inverse relationship between drug therapy for ADHD and drug abuse. What am I saying? What I'm saying is people with ADHD who receive treatment in childhood, and and this can be medication or or not medication, are 50% less likely than their untreated peers to abuse drugs or alcohol in adolescence or young adulthood. What happens when people abuse Drugs and alcohol is they are self-medicating. So the debate is over. No reputable scientist or doctor can argue this fact. The media needs to step up and stop printing sensational headlines and stories that perpetuate the myth that there is no such thing as ADHD. In that regard, I believe that we also need to start being willing to have these conversations with people. We are the ones that are on the front lines We're living successfully with ADHD. Our kids are living successfully with ADHD. We need to show them what ADHD looks like. We need to show them and educate them on a new model. As Edward Hallowell says, it's not an unmitigated blessing, but neither is it an unmitigated curse, which is usually the way it's presented. He goes on to say that I have been treating this condition for 25 years, and I know that if you manage it right, this apparent deficit can become an asset. I think of it as a trait and not a disability. You know, this notion that a disability can be harnessed in a positive way, it's not a new concept. 35% of small business entrepreneurs identify as dyslexic. The researchers concluded that dyslexia made them better communicators and problem solvers, more likely to delegate authority. Doesn't that make sense? If you struggle in one area, you are going to learn how to compensate in another area. And that is the area that you are going to become brilliant at. So how do I respond when someone tells me, I don't believe in ADHD. I don't think ADHD exists. I think it's, you know, I think it's a product of modern society. The first thing I do is I ask them, I say this, tell me, what do you know about ADHD? And then they tell me, blah, 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 blah. And this is how I respond. You know, that sounds a lot like global warming to me. You know, 99.9% of all scientists believe in global warming, but it's that 0.01% that get all the media attention. Do you know that the National Institute of Health, the American Medical Association, the U.S. Surgeons General, the American Association of Psychiatry, the U.S. Department of Education, all state... ADHD is a neurobiological condition. And this is the deal. Until you have a child with ADHD, you don't know what you will or won't do. I was just like you before my son was diagnosed. Although my son doesn't take medication and I don't take medication because they don't work for us, I will tell you that what I've seen and heard firsthand is that the fallout from years of struggling to fit into the wrong environment by teachers, by parents, by spouses, by bosses who only point out your weaknesses and they never mention your strengths. It's far worse to your self-esteem and mental health than stimulant or other medication. This, and can you imagine knowing you're not living to your potential? That causes anxiety and it causes depression. Medication, if it works, if you're one of the lucky people where it works for, I have seen it literally change people's lives. I have seen it allow people to live to their full potential. Then I asked them, So if you had diabetes, would you take insulin? And then if you had a child with diabetes, would you not give them medication that was prescribed by their doctor? I don't know. I think good parenting requires that I educate myself so my kids are happy and successful. And in my experience, contrary to this idea that people are clamoring for ADHD medication, Most people that I know, they are absolutely terrified when they take their first dose of ADHD medication. Come over to my Facebook group if you don't believe me. Then I invite them to my podcast, my website, and I give them the link to my ADHD book list. If they want to know more about ADHD, I offer that ADHD has nothing to do with intelligence. And in fact, some of our country's most successful people have or have had ADHD. They're usually blown away by this. I throw out names like Thomas Edison or Richard Branson, Michael Phelps, Cher, Ellen DeGeneres, Leonardo da Vinci, Will Smith, Serena Williams. I try to pick people in a myriad of professions so they don't think that, oh, ADHD brain, they've got to do that. Then I tell them that ADHD is context-driven and that I have a really fast brain and too much energy, and that my problem is dealing with menial work, which is why I could never have a nine-to-five job, because I need to be, number one, really interested in what I'm doing to be successful. I also need creativity and intensity to be able to move, and that activities that reward spontaneity are what the ADHD brain typically excels in. Then I talk about how Every brain learns differently and performs better in certain contexts than others. And once our education system catches up to that, instead of doing what they've been doing for 150 years, which usually doesn't work for our ADHD brains, things will start to look a lot better. Then I end with, and if you have ADHD, do you know that there's a 600% higher chance that you're also an entrepreneur? That's where we went. It makes sense, doesn't it? One of our members, Erin, also shared a link from understood.org where you can plug in your child's grade and what they struggle with, if they struggle with reading or writing or math or attention or organization. And then you see a video of a child in your child's grade explaining what it feels like to, say, struggle in math or struggle with attention. This is then followed by a simulation that shows just how frustrating their struggle is. For example, on the math simulation, you're supposed to put seven cents in a coin tray to pay for an apple. When you click on the nickel, it puts in 24 cents. And when you put in a penny, it puts in a dime. Can you imagine? No matter what they try, it doesn't work. This is then followed by an expert who educates you on what is going on with their brain. And then the student comes back and talks about what worked well for them and what didn't. I think this would be a great link to send to a grandparent that shoots off their mouth or even a parent who's frustrated with their underperforming kid. Finally, if I can't get to them and they're just obnoxious, I'll say, you know what? I guess you're just smarter than all the doctors, scientists, and psychologists. And if that doesn't work, our funny Facebook friend, Carrie, offers this. I just don't have the time or the crayons to explain it in a way that you would understand. I love that. And it made me laugh. Let me say one more thing beyond all this, I'm going to go back to something you've heard me say in most of my podcasts, and you're probably sick of it, but it's this, you are the expert on you. You are the one that has done the research. You are the only one that can feel what's right and wrong in your body. You are the one who needs to trust that only you know what's best for you. People can be enormously ignorant, rife with misinformation, and vested not in relationships that instill connection, but in being right. And you will never change them. So you know what? You need to change yourself instead. It doesn't matter what they think. What matters most is what you think. So if you're still lacking confidence, you need to get busy and arm yourself with information. The more information you have on ADHD, the more confident you will become and the less you will care what others think or say. So this is what I need you to ask yourself. When I leave this friend when I leave this family member, when I leave this job in the morning to go, no, when I leave this job at night to go home, when I leave this spouse in the morning to go to work, do I feel good or not? Does this person, does this job energize me? Does it make me feel happy? Does Do they inspire me? Look, you can feel physically exhausted when you leave your job because you've worked hard, but you also need to feel like you're in the right place, contributing something of value, like you're respected, like you're needed. In any of these relationships or places, if you feel like everything is wrong with you, nothing is ever right that you do, that you're unheard, that you're only expected to you know, open your mouth when you're in your place, that you're what am I trying to say, that you're expected to stay in your place and only in your place, even though you don't want to be in that place. If you feel like no one cares, if that's the case, you need to be in a different environment. Those of us with ADHD can be wildly successful, but first we need to be in the right relationships and doing the right job. This all starts with interest. What have you always been interested in? Who in your life do you meet for dinner or lunch and you always feel good, inspired, motivated, happy, grateful? Find more of those people. They are your people and they love you just the way you are. And if you're telling me, I don't have anyone like that in my life, I'm going to tell you that that right there is the problem. You need to find one person who loves you exactly the way you are. And where you find that one person, there will be more just like them. Being successful with ADHD is first and foremost all about environment. So that's what I have for you today. As always, you are listening to ADHD for smart-ass women. If you've been listening to me for a while, if you appreciated this podcast, I would just love a review. It's not hard to do. It really helps. You don't even have to write anything, although I would certainly appreciate if you would. If you're on the iTunes podcast platform, scroll down to the bottom. You can click on the stars. If you'd like to know more about me, our patent-pending cartography system that teaches you how to figure out which of the many interests you have is the one you should pursue, or if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a podcast idea for this podcast, Go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and click on podcast in the navigation bar. You'll see the microphone to your right. You can leave me an audio message there. You can also reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. If you liked what you heard, we sure would appreciate a review. And not coincidentally, ADHD for Smart Ass Women, well, that's also the name of our free Facebook group. Go look it up. We're a totally smart ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find all my details over at tracyoutsuka.com. Don't forget, I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.